This is the Women's Retail Collective podcast, where I, your host, Anne Mazinga, pull together retail's most influential women to talk about their careers, how they made it to senior level leadership, and how they're leading their organizations through the rapidly evolving retail industry. This podcast is made possible through the support of our sponsor, Parcel Penny. Don't just improve your customer experience, make it special with buy online, pick up and locker by Parcel Pending. Purpose built to meet retailers' unique needs, this smart delivery solution seamlessly integrates with existing order management apps and systems to make Bopis faster, safer, and more flexible for shoppers. To learn more, visit parcelpending.com. I am wildly excited to introduce you to my guest on this one, you guys. Today with us on the show, we have Kelly Kowal, Chief Platform Officer at Farfetch. Welcome, Kelly, to the show. We're here to talk about you and your career uh, in retail. And I think maybe the best part or place to start is at the beginning. So I, I ask usually what your first job in retail was. So it's 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 a great question, and I um I think the the, the first job in retail I actually started um, at a sort of startup online e-commerce company um, okay. called eBags, and it was um, started by an amazing individual called John Nordmark, and this was really early days um, in in online. Um, I remember telling friends and even family that I was going to work for this online company. And, um, you know, the first question was, why would anyone shop online? I mean, that's how long ago it was. And, you know, people thought you shopped online because it was cheaper. So it was it was in those days. And um, it was such an amazing company to start with in terms of retail, but also in terms of online as well. Um, And when I started, I I didn't really have any sort of online or or digital marketing experience. And and that's what I went in to do is join the digital marketing team. Um, You just didn't have experience. Everything was brand new to everybody. And um, I worked for an amazing individual and, um, you know, he would sort of forget I didn't know any of this. And, you know, he would rattle off these stats, which today, you know, are you know, back, everyone knows them, but it's, you know, like you talk about conversion rate and AOV and our GMV. And um, I just remember going home and being like, I don't know what any of this means. And then having to go <laughs> in the next morning at like 5 a.m. before anyone else got there and really sort of like research and figure out what all this meant and how it all went together. Because um, there was no, there's no playbook. So it was kind of figuring it out as we went along. And it was just such an exciting time to explore retail but also to really be at the forefront of online too. And tell us a little bit about eBags. So, I mean, did you have experience in the category or it was just like, cause it's, it's like luggage and backpacks, and right? Yep, okay. exactly. And handbags. So it's, it's pretty much any sort of bag um, online. Um, and what made it really interesting, it was predominantly drop ship model. So meaning we didn't really okay. own much inventory. We did have a private label um, line as well, um, but that was about the only inventory. So, then it was also a really interesting business model as well. Um, no, I didn't have any experience. My experience came from more of a like a computer science background and um, looking at sort of like analytics of how you design websites um, to basically more help the fact that, you know, around sh- like just your shopping um, okay. and to try and reduce customer contacts. So it was a lot 
in that space, not really in retail and not in digital marketing. So it was brand new to me. And I, they, they were great. They took a punt on me, um, sort of blagged my way in a bit because I was so interested. Um, I just yeah. really thought it would be an amazing opportunity. Hence why I was in the office every morning early trying to learn what everything was and trying to, to sort of catch up. Right. Absolutely. Well, then what happened next? Like, how did that that evolve into your next position? So it, it was fantastic because essentially there were not that many of us in digital marketing. So we kind of all had to do, um, you know, lots of different things. So it was a great way to actually really explore and become a generalist to understand what I liked in digital marketing, what, um, you know, I, I was really passionate about, what I was focused on. Um, and so, you know, we, we continued to grow and we continued to, um, you know, really cultivate this sort of, um, I would say this, this culture around um, like this test and learn. And we really wanted to be sort of best in breed. So it gave me such an, like an amazing experience to actually really understand what I wanted to do next. What ended up happening was um, plans changed slightly um, and um, it, we started a London operation and eventually they moved me into the London office, which was um, another amazing opportunity because at that point in time, I really only had experience within the U.S. market. So they moved me to the U.K. and um, really to start up sort of merchandising and, and marketing for um, the U.K. and for European operations, um, which was, again, another fantastic um, experience. Well, yeah. Yeah. Can we pause there for a second? So you're in, so where are you right now pre-move to the UK? Denver. You're in Denver. Okay. Yes. And you grew up in the US? Grew up in the US, grew up in Michigan. Um, I grew up in Michigan. Okay. And travel, like, is this first experience out of the country? Like, get, set the stage for us because this, <laughs> I'm getting the feeling that this was like a little bit more than just like, you're going to go open the, U, the UK office and- I I mean, I wish Here I could go. say it was more, it was more thought through than that, but it, it really wasn't. It was um, basically the opportunity came up. Um, I was really excited about it. I had never been to sure. the UK. Um, I went basically in January to, to meet the team, look at the office, um, explore the opportunity. Um, and then by May, I had moved over. So we... Wow. Um, Fast tracked the visa, got everything in order, um, and moved over in May. And um, yeah, joined that team for about a year and a half, and it was um, it was such an amazing experience. Before then, I had never been to to the UK or to London, so not only was it my first trip in January, but that was the deciding factor that I was also going to move over. It was supposed to be a two year stint. Um, okay, but uh, I I. I liked it so much. I just decided to sort of stay. Um, and then I've been now in the UK for over 13 years. Wow. That's incredible. So, so you were, you, you not only are learning a new category, you're learning digital marketing and e-commerce for the first time. Now you're opening the <laughs> office in, in the UK, you're moving to the office in the UK, you're learning a new city, a new country, new everything. Um, but you, you kept going. You wanted to stay there and keep going with this, Kelly. I mean, I, I'm impressed by you. That's a lot of, that's a lot of new <laughs> things. Like there's a, there's a theme here of, you know, kind of exploring this unknown that I think is really impressive. What, so 
what happened then? You you were you were there and you wanted to explore another new job or so in 2009, um, it was sort of at the height of the financial crash. Um, we decided to close that office and that operation. And it was more really to, to preserve the business in, in the U.S. Um, and that was where I was sort of at a crossroads. And it was, you know, do I go back to Denver and continue to work for this great company? Or do I take a chance and see what life could lead if I stayed in the U.K.? Um, I opted to stay in the U.K., um, I then um, ended up working for another startup. So there's sort of a pattern in my career history where um, I tend to work for either startups or, or Series A companies just because I find them really fascinating. But um, this, the, the next role then was a, um, a role that was more around um, sort of uh, um, um, flash sales. Sorry. Um, okay. So it was around flash sales and, and that sort of new business concept. And it was um, owned by a media company. So it was a retail operation startup in a media company, which had its own challenges. Um, but then also the business model was fairly new to the UK market as well. Um, another great learning opportunity and um, you know really great experience. Um, but then it was from there that I left and um, joined Farfetch. Okay. And what was the, I mean, did you, was Farfetch in existence? Like, tell us a little bit about, like, where, did you just love the brand? Like, there, I have so many questions around that, too. Like, how did that come about? So it was, I was introduced through somebody that I had worked with at, at my, my last position. He, he went to go join Farfetch to be the, the COO um, and, uh, you know, came to me and said, we, we have this, we don't have a digital marketing team. Um, this is your background, you know, would you be interested in joining? It's, you know, very early days. Um, at that point in time, they just received Series A, so only, I think, around for about a year. Okay. Um, I was fascinated with the, the vision and the strategy and the, um, the business model per se. And then when I met the team, I just loved the people. So it really was was twofold. But I thought, you know, when I, I had my first meeting with Jose Nevis, who um, founded um, Farfetch, and when he was explaining the concept of the business model and the reason behind it, he was so passionate and it, it just it made so much sense. And it really was about helping sort of the ethos of retail. And for those people who don't know that how Farfetch started is Jose was actually a boutique owner himself. Okay. And he was at Paris Fashion Week, and it was a pretty dismal day, he said. And um, it was what he realized is that a lot of the independent-owned boutiques were sort of getting shut out of the market because online was taking off and it was really big, but they couldn't go online because they didn't have maybe the skills or the resources or you know the, the, the funding behind them. And they were getting beat out of the market through you know large-scale department stores or online players. Um, and what he realized is without the boutiques, you know, there's something to be said about fashion. Like they are the ones that are mm -hmm. out there curating the markets, taking the risks, finding new designers. And without the independent shops, you know, retail becomes a bit boring. So right. he was really passionate about then starting a platform to allow other boutique owners to be able to sell. So we would do all the hard bits, like we would do the technology, we would do fulfillment, we would do digital marketing. 
And all they had to do was continue to, to buy this amazing product and to curate the amazing product and then put it online and we would, we would partner with them. And as he explained it, it just made so much sense to me. And I was thinking, how could I not be part of this? This is a, an amazing concept and an amazing business model and a fantastic team to go with it. It just, it, it made, it made so much sense. And tell us a little bit about your role there now, Kelly, what you're doing to lead the team at Farfetch. So I am the chief platform officer. Um, as we basically started Farfetch, you know, we were very much focused on farfetch.com, the marketplace. Um, and then through the course of the years, what we ended up developing was a platform. And it was a platform for ourselves. Um, but what we realized is that we actually had a brilliant platform that we could effectively white label and then take to market and work with brands and work with boutiques and work with retailers to help drive their online presence and help drive their digital strategy. So that's really what my role now is, is taking the, the existing platform and creating a wider platform for the luxury market. Um, and that includes everything from the technology, but also includes all of the services that it takes to run an, an online or a digital business. Um, it, that includes everything from digital marketing to product photography to in-store technology as well. So there's a big shift of, you know, how do you really blend the true online and offline journey? And um, how do you really have a true single customer view? And and that's part of my role is, um, okay. you know, really sort of identifying that and, and coming up with the strategy there. And Kelly, does that include things that we're seeing on the platform now, like, um, resale or like, are you, are you like incorporating those types of things? Are there people on your team that are coming up with that? Like, how does that part of that work? Yeah. So it's, it, I would say it's a collective opportunity. So, um, we, you know, have a, a lot of different um, ideas that we want to do in the business. Um, and then we figure out where is it best to test? Is it best to test on the marketplace? Is it best to test with the, the white label customers? But the way we build it is we build it directly into the platform so that anybody then can use that service. So if we have a client within our platform business, one of the brands that, you know, we, we run their websites, if they then want to have a resale business um, or use any of the features that we have on the platform, those are then available to them as well. So we have quite a, an intense, long roadmap and an intense, long roadmapping process um, to be able to incorporate these and um, make sure that they are available across the, the wider platform. Um, I would say Farfetch was also really built and founded around innovation, and that still holds very, very true. So we're constantly looking for new ideas, new features, um, and building that directly into the platform. And Kelly, would you say that those are things that maybe differentiate Farfetch from some of the other, you know, new to the market marketplaces or players? I mean, we have Amazon getting into the luxury market. Like, how? How do you kind of, in your job, help um, elevate and keep innovating at Farfetch? So I think we 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 do it in in really two different ways. Um, one is very sort of um, I would say led by us. So we're really looking at the future and and really trying to understand what's next and and what do we need to do in order to give uh, just an amazing customer experience. So. Customer is one of our values, and, and we really do think of customer first and think about what do we need to, to change, evolve, create um, to give a fantastic customer experience. 
On the other side too, I would say a lot of the innovation comes then client-led. So we have okay. our white label clients and, and they're telling us what they need in order for their business sure. to succeed. And then we're able to take those requirements back and, and really sort of build new experiences and new features. And I, I think to your first question, what sets us apart? I think there's two really things that, that set us apart from some of either the, the new marketplaces or, or even just a, a, a platform business. One is that we specialize in luxury. So we really understand the luxury experience. We understand the luxury brands. This is where all of our experience comes from. And this is how we really built our business. So when we think about our platform and the experience, we think about luxury first in, in that industry. So anyone coming in you know, to, to this sort of industry might not have that sort of experience. And then you know, I would say that the second part of it is just the wider vision for what we think about customer and where we see them yeah. going. And that's really around what we call connected commerce. And that really is around enabling online to fulfill in-store and actually your in-store coming back to your online and really looking at it from the customer's point of view, trying to say, it doesn't matter where you shop, you're going to have an amazing experience. And let's actually just make sure that what we're developing allows you to be able to have this amazing customer journey and customer experience that's seamless online and offline. And that's something we're really, really passionate about. And what do you look to? I mean, I think the the examples of the, the individual boutiques is a fantastic one, but what other resources are you relying on to like stay up to date with trends or to, to just, you know, help inspire you or inspire your team to keep thinking about how you're going to constantly evolve the, the Farfetch platforms? I would say it's one really listening. So it's listening okay. to our customers, even if they're not saying anything, even if they're not telling you, it's watching their behaviors and um, really trying to, to understand just what are the macro trends growing on in, in the world sure. as well. So I think for us, um, you know, looking at sustainability, looking at conscious shopping, looking at everything that sort of happened in 2020 and, and really utilizing the change that we saw overall in the world and helping that fulfill what we need to be doing in, in the future as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a generic answer, but I, I would say we get our inspiration from many different places. So before the pandemic, we were traveling to lots of different countries, speaking to lots of different customers, speaking to different types of customers. So not just our sure. VIPs, but speaking to maybe a one-time shopper. Um, also really looking at our um, customers in our physical retail as well. So I think it's about just really coming in with your eyes open um, and making sure that you're, you're, you're genuinely listening and, and you're watching and you're still very passionate about what you do. You mentioned 2020. I feel like everybody just wants to put that year to bed, but I'm curious from the time things started and you're in London. So I felt, feel like you guys were even further um, ahead of the rest of the U S but what were the things that were keeping you up at night during 2020? Like, what are you laying in bed? Like, how the hell am I going to figure this out? How am I going to, you know, get my team to keep motivated and work on this when we're all at home? Like, what was going through your head and how were you processing that? Um, I would say probably at first, not well. Um, but <laughs> You I weren't alone. Say, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I think that the first thing that was really keeping up at night was the well-being of our teams and the well-being of our sort of the brands that we we work with. Um, it was so new and you had so many different types of situations. You know, you had parents working at home with their kids and homeschooling, but then you had, um, you know, I've got quite a young team and, and, and you know, a lot of them are flat sharing. So they're really, you know, they're all in maybe the same room, taking calls, all on the same Wi-Fi. They're stressed sure. that the Wi-Fi is going down. Then you have single people who are home all day long. So that was a really big challenge. I wouldn't say challenge, but that, that was something that would keep me up at night thinking, you know, how do we make sure everyone still feels supported and connected? Because we have such a strong culture at Farfetch that all of a sudden you feel like, how do we keep the culture when everyone is basically working at home? So that, that yeah. was one of them. The other one was, how do we actually help a lot of our partners stay in business? So their stores are closing. And part of our business model is we use a lot of the inventory from in-store so that people don't have to do a big buy and put it somewhere in a warehouse or so they can really utilize their inventory. But now all of a sudden the stores were closed. So how are they going to use that inventory? How do we get creative and get in there and help them still be able to, to trade and, man, and maintain so that they're not closing their doors for good? Right. And I think sort of that, that third element really was just what's what's next like what what do we need to be thinking about in terms of 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 escalation and i think for us this is when we really started to look at the fact that we have in-store technology and it used to be a really sort of nice to have but what we needed to do was change that because now all of a sudden it was a must have so mm -hmm. how do we how do we transpose or, or rip up our roadmaps to make sure that we're now developing things that people need to stay in business. So I would say it's probably those sort of three elements. Um, yeah. Interchangeably um, every day, keeping, keeping me up. How do you think like personally and in uh, your own, in, when you look at your own career over the course of, you know, solving all of those things, you know, thinking about them as you're going to bed and then waking up in the morning and no doubt you were taking action on them based on what we've learned about you so far. What, what do you think personally you developed over the course of the last year? Are there things that you had to change about the way that you work or just how you keep yourself motivated? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was such an eye-opening year and there was so much I learned about myself and so much I learned about what was important. And, you know, I think it's ironic that, you know, it was the year 2020, um, you know, 2020 in, in, in optometry actually means, you know, perfect vision. Um, right. So it's just very ironic that it was, it was 2020. But the one thing I would say is I, I did walk away, I think, with a clearer vision clear vision of myself, clear vision of what's important to me and um, perspective. So I think, you know, really putting things in perspective and, and understanding, yes, we have a business run and, and we, we have targets to hit, but actually it's really important to make sure that we have the people behind it and that we are making sure that their well-being is, is very much being looked after and that everyone feels supported and, um, so I think it was just, it was a really interesting year, but yeah, I did. I learned a lot about myself and, and, and what was important. And, um, it, it was, it was almost at certain times nice to almost go back to a, a simpler life as well. We used to travel so much and, you know, some of it became 
really exciting. Some of it was very daunting. Um, but when all of that is stripped away, you know, you're left with the, the simplicity of life and sort of, you know, understanding what does make you happy, I think is, 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 is really important. Did you find that? Did you find what made you happy? What was I it? I mean, it was, I don't, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a tough question because I don't think it was one thing. I think okay. it's very much around, um, enjoying the small things and being present and making sure that you're not taking anything for granted and really being grateful. So I think what I was practicing during lockdown was, um, you know, trying not to get down and actually really thinking about the things that I was grateful for um, and really having a sense of gratitude. And, and that helped me um, a lot, I think, through 2020, sort of grappling through all of this is reminding that one, we're all in this together. And yeah. two, there are still things to be very grateful for. And something that we did in London, which I think a, a few different European countries did, is we had clapping for carers on Thursday evenings. And it was like the one thing everyone really looked forward to. But sure, you basically you know, came out of your house, you clapped, you met your neighbors for the first time. Um, it was a whole sense of, of camaraderie. And I think that was something that really helped us get through as well. If you, if I were to interview your team, Kelly, and ask them like what, what the best advice was that you've given your team, whether it's over the course of the last year going through the pandemic or, you know, over the course of the last couple of years is you've really been doing so much with the Farfetch platform. What do you think they would tell me? Ooh, that is a, a good one. I mean, I think our mantra in 2020 was sort of like, make sure you look after you. Um, that right. was, that was first. Good one. Um, Good. But I, I think overall it would be take chances and, and, and don't be afraid. So very much so we, um, are a growth part of Farfetch. And I think it's important that people feel very empowered to take chances and, um, you know, get excited and, and, and try new things. And I think it probably does go, you know, hand in hand with working, sort of in startups, but also within starting a business within Farfetch, but it would very much, I think, be around, um, yeah, take, take chances. Well, you're certainly living that. So um, you're in living proof of, of the benefits that can come of hard work and taking those chances. What chances are left on, or chances to take, I would say, are left on your list? Like what is out there still for you, whether it's, you know, inside Farfetch or beyond, like what, what inspires you or intrigues you now? I think one thing that I have been good at, I think in my career is not overthinking it and, and actually taking the chances, but also finding what really excites me. And right now there's still so much left to do in, in Farfetch about developing this platform strategy that that still really excites me. So I feel like there's still so much that we can do here and, and, and do in this space. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's a really sort of, it's an interesting question because I, I don't think I've given it too much thought. It's only when sure. something comes to me that I'm like, wow, I must be doing that. That, that sounds fantastic. Um, so I'm not sure what other chances, but all I know right now is there's still a lot to do in the, in the current <laughs> role. 
Um, and it still is, is hugely exciting um, every single day. Every single day, I, I basically get out of bed and there's some new challenge we have to overcome or something new that we're learning. And um, it's just, it's, it's wildly exciting. That's totally fair answer, I think. I also appreciate, I think, that, um, you know, you, at the beginning of that sentiment, you acknowledge, you know, this is a, a skill of yours. And I'm, I thank you for sharing that, because I think that's another way of people to hear, like, it's okay to um, acknowledge your strengths and then go after them and, and, and talk about them and talk about future plans and put them out there so that the people can listen to this and, and help you and help hold you accountable to really go after those things. So thank you for that, yeah, Kelly. Absolutely. Um, one last question that I have for you is, as you look back on this career that you've had, um, very impressive, I have to say, if you could go back and thank someone, you could write them a thank you note, just one person for impacting your career in some way, who do you think you would write that note to? And what would you say to them, Kelly? I think, oh, there's two people that really spring to mind. Um, okay. And, we'll give you two. We'll okay, give you two. Thank you. Um, because it's, it, it, I mean, I have, I feel like I have been super fortunate being able to work with so many uh, amazing people and, and, um, but the two people that I'm really thinking of helped me at a very sort of formative time in my career. And it was very early on in my career. And um, the one person, it was before I even worked in retail, um, she was just very inspiring. And um, I loved the way she managed and I loved the way that she worked. And she was so just thoughtful. So she didn't say a, a, a lot in sort of meetings, but she, you could tell she was so on top of it. And she, she really taught me, I think, to, to be inquisitive. So to really not just take what someone is saying for face value, to really think about what those next sort of questions are and, and to dig deeper. Um, and watching her in um, action was, was amazing. And I always wanted to be like that. And then I would say the second person was really, um, you know, my, my manager, um, and my mentor at eBags, um, the one who really gave me, you know, the, the chance to, to be part of, of digital. And he was brilliant. I mean, like I said, there was no playbook and he was just so creative and so analytical. Um, and he gave us the, um, confidence to go out and be able to do what we needed to do. But there's one thing he really instilled all of us. And that was this, you know, wanting to be the best breed in digital. So always being really inquisitive, always wanting to, um, you know, be part of like any betas that, that Google rolled out and just those two together, I think really made me want to explore, be creative, be inquisitive and, and really push to be the best that we can be. So I think it would have to be, be those two. And it was instilled at a very young part of my career. So I feel like that's helped me tremendously. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us everything that you've learned for encouraging us all to take chances, which I think is a great message that we all can, can use and need to hear at the beginning of this year. Kelly Kowal, Chief Platform Officer for Farfetch. Thank you for your time today and have a great year ahead. 
could hold your own concert with three bands or performers, dead or alive, who are you choosing? Ooh, that is a really good one. Um, I, I mean, definitely Fleetwood Mac. I'm a massive Fleetwood Mac fan. So that has to be, that has to be up there. Um, I would say also Snoop Dogg, because I think that would be just really fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, Kelly, we are kindred spirits, I can tell already, okay. <laughs> because honestly, I, I grew up with like that sort of music and I just, I just, yeah. I just love it. Um, and I would say, I would probably go for another legend that I grew up with and I would say Madonna. Oh. What an incredible lineup. I love that concert. I think we could just <laughs> talk on the podcast about the concert um, another time. We'll find, we'll find time. We'll find time. Show or something to, uh, I, I think that's one thing that I miss about the shows was like the random acts that we'd be performing. Like Completely. Robin Thicke is at, yes. at NRF and I'm like, well, I, that would be fun That's, to do. Exactly. I want to go see that. Yes, I completely agree with you. <laughs> or like Shaggy was at uh, a shop that, talk and I'm like, how, what is the selection process? Because I, I need mean, to get on that committee. I was front row, like center for Shaggy. I mean, I was <laughs> <laughs> right there. I think at one point, like I was maybe even trying to get up on stage. I mean, I won't admit that, but there might have been elements of me being like, how do I get up there? Okay, well, we uh, next time we're at a, a show, we will have to find each other and yes, we'll, we'll rush the stage. 